Hey everyone, my name is OJ Tucker, host of the OJ Tucker Podcast, a podcast in which we discuss things that are happening in the tennis world as well as things that are happening in the cultural world with a little bit of comedy sprinkled in between. My name is OJ Tucker, as the name would suggest. Happy Tuesday, hopefully you guys enjoyed. I think the last weekend of Black History Month, so uh, can end sooner. Uh, no, I'm kidding, obviously joking. It's uh, just a reference to... Uh, joke on weekend update but anyways uh there's a little bit of talk that we, we can discuss for torch today in terms of news outside the tennis world we can discuss obviously the elephant in the room the, the thing that everyone has been talking about whether it's at a comedy show or an open mic or whether it's just online or just to friends of yours who have a common interest in this which is Shane Gill is hosting SNL. Shane Gill is hosting SNL on Saturday. And overall, it was a pretty solid episode. I'm not going to lie. There are a few good sketches in it. Um, honestly, more than on average. Usually with SNL, there's like maybe one or two that's good. And this was a little bit more. So th that's good. I like it. I thought this was a pretty solid episode. Um, obviously, I'll de delve more into detail about it later on in the podcast. But... Um, Overall, I, I thought it was nice, and you know, I thought the monologue was obviously the best part of the entire thing because it featured nothing from SNL. It was just Shane Gillis telling his jokes into a microphone, and I thought that was the best part of the entire thing. Um, you know, obviously, we can delve deeper into it, and obviously, I'll delve deeper into it later on in the episode. But overall, for what it was, I thought I thought it was a pretty solid episode. And Shane Gillis is going to continue to be one of the best comedians working today because of just how he's able to just be as organic as humanly possible. You know, when you see him speak on stage or when you see him do his sketches, you you realize and you, you know that you're you're seeing an individual that's genuine and authentic with how he feels or how he believes or the experiences that he's felt or, or dealt with, you know, which is something that not many comedians can really master. Um, but anyways, uh, we'll talk about Shane Gillis on SNL because I really did enjoy that episode. We can also discuss Freddie Gibbs versus JPEG Mafia. So if you guys don't know, Freddie Gibbs and JPEG Mafia went after it on Saturday morning um, on Twitter, um, which obviously I've been doing my best to like get off that site because obviously it's not enjoyable. But when you see two rappers rapping and beefing one another, it is quite hilarious. Apparently, they were staying in the ho same hotel room. Um, now, obviously, JPEG Mafia would, re would, would, would refute that. Uh, he would then go on to say that he was staying at a hotel room 40 minutes away. Uh, but apparently, on Saturday, they were just going back and forth with one another. More, mostly JPEG Mafia on Freddie Gibbs saying that he's not really gangster or not really hood enough or... You know, things that I have very much an expert level knowledge on, you know, like, because I, as you can tell by this Zoomer haircut, <laughs> by this Machine Gun Kelly hairstyle, I know a lot about the hood. You know, I know a lot about the problems that exist there. Um, but JPEG Mafia like, basically had this like sort of parasocial relationship with Freddie Gibbs on Saturday where it was just going after him pretty frequently. And then he also went after his own fans as well, who were mostly white. And you can definitely tell that he somewhat struggles with the fact that his fan base is mostly white because of his reactions to people that were mad at him for offering that or, or for viewing his fan base in that light. Uh, so I do have a few thoughts on this. Overall, like JPEG Mafia just comes off incredibly corny 
throughout all of this. It's kind of weird and kind of funny how a guy that made all my heroes a cornballs is slowly but surely turning into a cornball. I know I'm not the first person to make that observation, but I felt like that was needed to be said. Um, I mean, I just find it to be weird, and Freddie Gibbs comes off so much better in this regard. And the fact that he's just doing his thing, I think that's hilarious. The fact that Freddie Gibbs just going on as is not really paying attention to it i think that's pretty funny as it is uh but yeah we'll talk about freddy versus jpeg mafia uh jpeg mafia has been going off the bender has been going off the deep end for quite some time now um and sometimes it's good to acknowledge that fact uh he did delete a lot of tweets in regards to his uh views on on white people enjoying his music and and whatnot um but there's still a history. There's still a backlog. You know, we can still go back into the Wayback Machine and, and type those things out. So uh, I'll talk about that. But first, let's talk about some tennis. All right, let's get into some tennis news. Uh, before I get into the Rio Open Final, which is the match that I watched, covered extensively, and actually did take notes, I, I want to give a few shout-outs to a few players who did win tennis tournaments. So congrats to Karen Koshinov on Doha. Uh, Igor Shriantek on the Doha Open win for WTA. Uh, Kessler for Puerto Vallarta for the WTA, uh, Paulini for Dubai, and Jordan Thompson for Los Cabos Open. I know there were like six or seven tournaments that are happening over the past week, so I want to give a shout-out to all those people, uh, and also shout-out to this new hairstyle. I think I sort of alluded to it in the rundown, but um, yeah, new new hairstyle. Uh, I'm, I'm changing it up. I, I know last time when I changed my hairstyle, it wasn't that big of a hairstyle change but this is different this feels like um every zoomer haircut ever uh i i look like i'm about to write sins not tragedies um i look like i'm about to welcome you to the black parade okay what what, what else am i missing out here you know i remember i was at, at the mall on saturday and i went into the j crew like the j crew store and usually like when i walk into a store usually like i look quite mature Especially with my my hair like combed over to the side, went back back in the day, back back in the heyday, uh, back in back when I was young. But I, now that my hairstyle is like more of like a bang situation, I remember walking to the J Crew and like get, literally getting like no associate to talk to me or speak to me because they thought I was like in high school. You know, uh, it didn't help that I also had like an auntie Anne's like pretzel on my hand, so I I could easily get the clothes dirty, but. Um, yeah, I, I remember that. I'm like, okay, I guess I look younger than I actually am. But, um, anyways, new hairstyle. Yeah, it's, it's okay. I'm, I'm not really clamoring about it. It's not something that is that great, but, um, yeah, thought, thought I shouldn't mention that before we get into it. But anyways, let's get into the reopen final, shall we? So the reopen final happened yesterday at 3.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. As Sebastian Baez played against Mariano Navone and beat Mariano Navone 6-2, 6-1. This was a, I wouldn't say boring match to watch because it was actually not, not that bad. Any, any match that lasts for that little time... I can't hate on it, you know. I can't hate. On it. I'm like, I'm like, yeah. It's kind of sad that Navone's not really competing to the level that I thought he would. But am I really going to complain about a straight set tennis victory in the month of February? Like, am I really going to sit down and complain about that? No. Like, it's good. It's good. I'm happy about it. Uh, Sebastian Baez beats Mariana Navone 
and straight sets. I mean, there's not really much you can talk about in this match uh, because Sebastian Baez was just absolutely decimating Navone in the in the in those two sets. I mean, both sets he was up for love, and he could have easily bageled him if he had so chosen to, if he wanted to. Um, but for Navone, you got to give him credit. He was able to break in both sets and at least make it somewhat of a match. Now, I didn't say it's it, it was a match. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying that at least he gave some form of pushback uh, and didn't let Baez be too comfortable playing tennis. Um, so let's get right into that first set, shall we? So Baez held and broke serve for the first four sets. And all I wrote was, it's hard to come back from that. It's hard to come back from a four-set-to-love deficit and expect to win. I mean, very few times does that happen. I remember back in 2021, Annie Murray played against Nikola Basilashvili in like the first round, and he was a five love at one point in like the third or fourth set. And he ended up losing that set seven five. I'm like, how? Like, how is that possible? Then you realize, oh no, it's Andy Murray. Like he is like the tennis equivalent of the Buffalo Bills. You know, he's he is that kind of guy. But anyways, uh, let's get into that first set, shall we? That was not a dig at Andy Murray. That's just me venting as an Andy Murray fan and growing up as an Andy Murray fan and seeing that happen. Uh, Baez holds on love. That's backhand by Navon goes long, one love. Um, forehand by Navon goes extra long as Baez breaks to make it two love. Baez ace makes it, uh, takes him another hold to make it three love. And again, by when you see three love, you're like, okay, like, Hopefully, Navone can come back, get a hold, maybe get a break, get another hold. He ties it up at three-all, three, three all, equalizes it up with a, with a hold, can take it maybe deep to maybe 7-5 maybe, uh, or even a tiebreaker. You know, you think that. You know, those are the thoughts that creep into your mind when you see a player who's reached the final of an AT500. Um, but that just wasn't the case. In fact... Baez would continue his overall reign of terror on Navone. Uh, great rally by the two as draw volley followed by forehand on the line at the net gets Baez the chance to break. Navone, I almost said nationwide. Uh, Navone wide ground stroke makes another break for Baez to make it for love. And when you're down for love, it's hard to come back. I mean, there's nothing that you can really tell your player when, when they're down for love, especially in a final besides, hey, you got to change it up. And when I when I say change it up, change everything. You gotta change it up. Uh, you gotta change everything. You gotta change your baseline play. You gotta change how you approach the net. You gotta change the ways in which um, you serve and, and get the ball in into the court. Um, you gotta change everything. You gotta change all of it because at the end of the day, you know that's that's going to determine as to whether or not you can hang or not. You know that's going to determine as to whether or not you can be able to compete even in even bigger tournaments than this. You know, whether it's an ET 1000 final or even that of, say, a major. Uh, and we saw surely, but, sh- uh, you know, closely, closely, but surely that um, Navone is not ready for the spotlight. He just isn't. Um, Navone fails to execute drop shot from baseline as Baez has a chance to hold again. Uh, unfortunately, that wasn't the case. There would be a little bit of a back and forth between the two of them. Uh, but Navone will come back and get his first break to make a 4 1, which is nice. You know, to get a break that late. A little part of me was like, okay, maybe he has the ability to come back. You know, 4-1. Again, this wasn't as far apart as it actually was, right? Like, this felt a much more closer match than what the scoreboard will tell you, right? Even though 
Baez won in straight sets, 6-2, 6-1. It never felt like that at any moment. And no moment do you feel as if Baez could really go for the jugular and, 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 and give him goose eggs in both sets. I mean, there were times where that was a possibility, especially early on in that first set. But as you saw the set play out, you're like, okay, this could go more competitively. <laughs> I held in the biggest yawn ever <laughs> i was i was holding my mouth for like a good five to ten seconds so i apologize uh for that if you could, did not hear anything for a good five to ten seconds i am very very much embarrassed by it but it is what it is i i, I gotta drink coffee before i do the podcast or some caffeine some stimulant i gotta i gotta i gotta do some stimulant maybe adderall i don't know uh, maybe meth um anyways uh, Navone holds to make a 4-2. We have a match. Uh, that's what I wrote, even though that wasn't the case. Uh, Navone forehand goes long as Baez holds to make a 5-2. And Navone backhand is the other net as Baez takes the first set 6-2. So overall, it was a pretty clean win bar for Baez. Let me just pull up the, the scorecard here for a second uh, for both players. So service percentage, uh, when it comes to first serves in, 87% for Baez, 70% for Navone. 60% for serve percentage one over that of say 57%. Uh, second serves one 100% to that of say 11% for Navone. So that is the most glaring st- st- statistic was the second serves one. Uh, because the fact that Navone was only 11% for second serves one, that in itself is an issue. Uh, he is not comfortable with the second serves. Um, at times it felt as, as, as if I was watching Sasha Zverev when it came to the second serves. Uh, not to the point where he was just doing this, but if you're watching on YouTube, you'll know exactly what I did. Uh, but at no point was it like that, but it definitely did feel as if Navone was just uncomfortable at serving. It felt as if there were times where Navone would just be content with the fact that he was not able to to do well at the ba- at, at the baseline when it came to holding serve. You know, there were times where I was watching where I'm like, is he okay with this? Like, is, is in his heart of hearts, is he fine with this? At, I mean, at, at certain at certain points, I was surprised that there was a lack of coaching for Navone. Now, obviously, the cameras didn't pan to any of his coaches because he is a smaller name, a smaller figure. So why would they? But there were times where I was watching where I'm like, okay, there's got to be some form of coaching here. There has to be coaching. If there's no coaching, then what's the purpose of it? Um... But anyways, uh, Navone was down six two in the first set, and let's get just let's just get right into the second set, shall we? Um, so second set was same as the first, but no hold for Navone. There was just no hold for Navone, and because of that, Baez would take that second set. All right, let's get right into the second set. I'm sorry. Uh, Navone returns serve goes long. Baez holds to make a one love. Uh, Baez breaks as a Navone ground serve goes to the net to make a two love. Navone forehand goes long as Baez holds to make a three love. Navone loses chance to hold as overhead by him as dead the net to go back to deuce, which, by the way, was a layup. That was the most gifted law Baez gave to Navone. Um, the, the way that Navone did the overhead, I thought was very bad fundamentally. Fundamentally, like I, I thought it was just very bad tennis. It's something that like you're taught as like a kid. Which is never to hit an overhead with the back of your foot, with like with one leg raised. It's not something that like you're taught to do. Like I mean, when you 
do an overhead. You got to make sure that both of your feet are firmly planted onto the ground, that you're in like a good striking position as if you're serving, and then just angle it in a way where it's just physically and humanly impossible for the other guy to retrieve your shot. That's what you're taught as a kid. I remember this because that's what I was taught. You know, is to have both feet firmly planted on the, onto the ground. You know, don't be foolish with it. You know, don't overthink it. You know, this is a layup situation. Treat it like that. And the fact that he just wasn't able to do that, especially on that overhead, it really tells you a lot about not only how ill-prepared Navone is for this big of a spotlight, but just how lackluster the star players were for this event. Because if this guy is playing in the final of your ATP event that in and of itself is an issue you know again kudos to navone for reaching the final of an atp event but again that that was just bad tennis right there that is a point where you look back on and if you're if you're his coach you are replaying that ad nauseum and you're pointing out every little small thing that navone did wrong and lead up and build up to that overhead where he just, or then that just swallowed the ball up. I mean, there's no other point. To, there's no other you know, way you can say it. The net swallowed that ball up clean. And all of it's on Navone. Navone had ample opportunity to really get both of his feet planted, maybe let the ball bounce, and then go for the kill. But instead, you you have this sort of situation where. He, he thinks he can generate all of his power from the back of his foot onto the shot. And it's, it's just not the case. You know, I know it's easy to second guess. It's easy to uh, say, oh, no, he did this wrong when you know it in plain, plain sight that he did it wrong. But when you see that happen, you're like, oh, my God, just, just stop. Just, just get a long break during the changeover reevaluate, rethink, regroup, and then go on with with what's to come. That just wasn't the case for Navone. Uh, backhand by Navone goes wide and rally as Baez repeats four love lead. Great pressure by Navone as Dravoli gets him his first break to make it 4-1. And um, yeah, I mean, at least with Navone, I, if there's one thing you can say about Navone is that he wasn't afraid to go to the net and he wasn't afraid to really give pressure to Baez. And to call balls out, even though they were actually in, especially in that first set. Uh, those three things I thought he did a great job at. You know, fooling the chair umpire to think balls were out. And um, getting to the net and applying pressure when need be. I thought those two things were really good for Navone. Um, backhand goes wide as buys, breaks for the sixth time to make a 5-1. And backhand goes wide as Baez holds on love to take the match 6-1. So overall, this was a nice match for Baez. Congrats to Baez on the win. There was a nice sort of infographic that was on the Tennis Channel, which is which said ATP titles leaders. And uh, the list goes as follows. So Djokovic obviously has the most with 7. Alcraz is right behind him with 6. Tied with Medvedev, which is also at 6. For some reason, they had Medvedev and Sinner's uh, pictures swapped, which is weird. Sinner uh, had 5. And at four, believe it or not, is Sebastian Baez. Um, I am rather shocked by that when I first saw it because I'm like, okay, there, there must be a lot of smaller tournaments that he's really cleaning up on. But 
if he told me three, four years ago that Baez would be the guy, like I would have been for for Argentinian tennis, I'll be like, are you sure about that? Because three, four years ago, it was all Diego Schwartzman, all Diego Schwartzman. Obviously, he's had his own setbacks, his own issues, um, but. I never would have imagined in a million years that Baez would be the guy for Argentinian tennis. And I would never imagine that for a Rio Open final that takes place in Brazil, that two Argentinians would headline that final. That, that was crazy to me. Um, but overall, congrats to Baez on the win. This is a nice one. It puts him uh, in, in, a good, in a good position. It, gets a good, it puts a little more pep in his step, I would say. Um, yeah, I mean, overall, it was nice. It was a nice, nice victory uh, for Sebastian Baez, and uh, hopefully we're able to see more of it in the future for him, um, and I'm sure we will. So, yeah, overall, uh, I, I this hair is nauseating. Uh, but anyways, uh, those are my thoughts on the Rio, or on the Argentina Open Final. Uh, those are my thoughts on the Argentina Open Final, and uh, leave your thoughts down below, and I'll do my best to respond to ones that I think are deemed to be responded to. Um, anyways, this hair is like infuriating me. <laughs> um, it is, it is, but I look younger, so that's what matters. Uh, somebody, somebody thought I was wearing a hairpiece the other day. I'm like, you can feel it. Like, you, we can make this a Jimmy Fallon, Donald Trump situation where you just feel up with my hair. Like, I don't care. Uh, but uh let's get into our second topic for today um so freddie gibbs versus jpeg mafia uh this is the rap beef that we all wanted and anticipated for so uh if you guys don't know there was a bit of a twitter beef on saturday between freddie gibbs and jpeg mafia for some reason jpeg mafia likes to go on these rants on twitter uh i i don't know why i mean source source my closest immediate sources say that he does have a dependency on alcohol so that does definitely does check out uh but again that's all unverified so that's alleged i don't want to get sued here um but jpeg mafia did have a, a bunch of tweets that were quite questionable on saturday um most of them were directed to freddie gibbs um and a lot of it had to deal with the fact that he just wasn't happy with freddie gibbs and just his overall contributions to Vultures, which is Kanye's album. If you guys don't know, JPEG Mafia is also producing Kanye's album because he no longer has Mike Dean, so I think he's banking on JPEG Mafia to really produce the album for him. Um, listen, I, I like JPEG Mafia. I think he's a pretty good rapper, but at the same time, like I don't know if I... I think having JPEG Mafia be the, mi the, mix the mixer and the masterer of your album, I think that that is... And, and to go from Mike Dean... To JPEG Mafia is like going from, I don't know, like, it's like going from like the best premium steakhouse ever to going to like the Dollar Tree and just buying the dollar steak there. It's literally, if it's, it, that's that big of a drop off. You know, not that I know because I'm vegetarian, but that's what it feels like to me. Um, no offense to JPEG Mafia. Obviously, he's a, I like him as a rapper. Uh, despite times on Twitter where he can be cringe. But um, yeah, he was just on Twitter on Saturday just going after J for going after Jeffrey Gibbs. Double uh, XL actually had like a pretty good write-up on it that I'll sort of quote from here. Uh, I don't know how, how much they covered it. Maybe it was just Saturday. Maybe it was both Saturday and Sunday. I truly do not know. Uh, but anyways, um, well, let me read uh, what Double XL said. Obviously, I'll uh, omit the N-word because I don't like to say it uh, publicly or on camera. Privately, I, I love to say that. It. It's my favorite word to use, privately. Uh, 
anyways, joking. I'm joking, guys. I don't want to. I don't want to get people mad for what I'm saying. But uh, uh, one of us got a kid with a dick bent in their head, and one of us don't. He began. One of us got their asshole spread online. And one of us don't. Uh, one of us got get their ass beat annually, like Family Matters. This shit is like a recurring sitcom. Uh, N word. One of us don't. Uh, he continued. Who's really gangsta? I'm gangsta. N word. He added, <laughs> which is so weird. Jipping Mafia is like the least is one of the least gangster rappers out there. Like, there's nothing about like there really isn't that much you can say that's gangster about him. Like, this is a guy like before he was like really like uh, brought onto the mainstream by Fantano. Um, this was the guy that was like roasting andrew schultz and charlemagne the god and and brilliant idiots like this was the guy okay this is not a guy that's gangster okay this is a guy that makes poetry about his disdain for morrissey okay this is not a guy who's gangster okay any any person that puts the who puts morrissey in a rap song is not gangster i'm sorry um anyways you haven't done anything gangster in your whole Mother effing career, except get your ass beat. Get your baby mama effed on camera and get embarrassed. I'm like, okay, this is interesting. Uh, so stay in the gym, bro, because it's useless, JPEG concluded. The muscles ain't helping you. They didn't help you at the brisket. Uh, I don't know what a brisket is. Maybe, I don't know. I mean, when I saw the brisket, I'm like, is that like the iced tea? Is that what a brisket is? Um, is that the brisket we're talking about? Is that the brisket? Uh, unfazed by JPEG Mafia's accusation of being a fake gangster, Freddie Gibbs hopped on his ex account to share a series of videos of himself in Italy. Then Neanderthal Reimer appeared unbothered to be worked out. At, oh, appeared unbothered as he worked out in a hotel gym and dined on croissants at a local restaurant. Those clips can be viewed below. Um, so yeah, they were beefing in Italy as they were preparing for Kanye's vo uh, album Vultures 2. Um, honestly. I got to side with Freddie Gibbs on this because for some reason, like for the past, not only a few months, but a few years on all, just not only on, on Twitter, but just, I feel like in general, like JPEG Mafia has been extremely, cr it's been cringe to listen to him, especially when you see him like go after like white people on, on his Twitter and, and, you know, accusing them of saying that all white people are bad or are the devil. And it's like, well, don't generalize here. Like, don't do that. Like, there's, especially when you're going after your own fans, like, that's just bad. I mean, he's literally going through the same thing as, like, what No Name did back in the day where No no Name was, like, questioning how all of our fans were white. And it's like, of course they're white. You know, you do, you know, experimental music and you do, you do music in a mostly white country. Like, of course your fan base is going to be mostly white. Just, like, how every music artist who's somewhat popular has a mostly white fan base some people have a difficult time with it Tyler, the creator does have a difficult time with you know with that fact that you know his fan base is somewhat white uh now does he handle it a lot more professionally than jpeg mafia absolutely 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 he does um i mean if you listen to any music artist today their fan base will be mostly white even Artists like Stevie Wonder have a mostly white fan base. You know, if, if you look at any hip-hop artist that's somewhat popular, Travis Scott, Drake, Kendrick Lamar, you're going to see a lot of white people at those concerts. And that's not an issue because at the end of the day, this country is mostly white. So you have to realize that there's nothing wrong with that. You know, if you're an entertainer, regardless of what you're doing, whether it's music, stand-up comedy, 
you know, whether you like do slam poetry, I don't know who has an interest in slam poetry in the year 2024. It's so dumb. Just rap on a garage band beat like an actual adult, uh, like every other rapper. Uh, but if you do that, it's going to be a mostly white audience that will be there, you know, and you can't just go out of your way and, and, and just accuse them of being racist or, 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 you know, saying their ancestors are bad people just because they listen to you. You can't do that. You know, um, I don't know. I, I, I find JPEG Mafia to be an interesting guy because yes, there are, there are albums of his that I do enjoy. Like veteran is still a great album to listen to. Um, you know, scaring the hose is also a pretty good album, uh, that I did recommend for my weekly pick. I don't know how much replay value it has because I haven't really listened to it in quite some time now. I still like certain songs like uh, that OJ song. Really enjoy that song. Um, but other than that, like it's with JPEG Mafia, it's like everything is always. It, it feels like you're watching like a like a soap opera. Like a lot of rap beefs are. They feel like I'm. Wa- I feel like I'm watching a soap opera. It feels as if. I don't want to say it's fake because I'm sure they do have real animosity towards one another, but there are far better ways to handle it than on a public site like Twitter where people put their two cents in. There's so many better ways to handle a situation than just going on Twitter and just like endlessly sending a barrage of hate and like sending a, like a sea of, of, of hate tweets directed to one person, even though both of you are in hotels that are seemingly quite close to one another. I mean, a 40-minute drive is not that far. It, it really isn't. Um, I don't know. I just think it feels as if JPEG Mafia is stressed. I feel like uh, Kanye has put him into the sweatshop labor of what Mike Dean used to do. Um, this is completely new territory for JPEG Mafia. He's not used to it. Um, we know that JPEG Mafia does like a little bit of the, you know, every now and again, um so again i think he's just having his own frustrations uh when it comes to that and he's just lashing it out online and obviously it's not the best way to handle things it just isn't um especially when you delete a bunch of your tweets where that's like confirmation of oh maybe i did it fuck up here um but overall when it comes to this beef um I mean, I just think Freddie Gibbs comes out better in this situation. He really does. He's more chill. I mean, he definitely helped out, if not saved that uh, song um, back to me. That was by Ty Dolla and Kanye. If Freddie Gibbs did not have that verse on that album, I don't think that that song would have done as well as intended because he definitely did save that song at the end. Um, But... Yeah, overall, this was nice. No, it wasn't. Uh, nothing really of value has been taught in the past two days in regards to this beef. I, I feel like this is one of those beefs where this is best if it's just done through the booth or in the booth, or they just trade you know, bars with one another. They just trade diss tracks to one another so they can build hype up for the new album for Kanye. Maybe maybe this entire thing is just a build-up to, to get Kanye's new Vultures 2 album out and released and to get people streaming about it and to get people listening to it but there are far better ways to handle it than this you know if you're a rapper then send a diss track you know just just do a diss track that's much better and that would be that would show how real of a a gangster freddie gibbs is or how fake of a gangster freddie gibbs is 
that's a better way of handling it than just going on Twitter. You know, it's so much better if it's done through a diss track. I mean, think about all the great diss tracks throughout hip hop, whether it's Story of Adi Don or whether it's Ether. Actually, in my opinion, I thought Jay-Z's Takeover was a better song than Ether. Uh, that's just my opinion, though. Obviously, you're 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 completely entitled to your own opinion about that. But in my opinion, Takeover was better. Uh, even when it comes to, you know, Hit Em Up or, you know, No Vaseline. You know, these are some great diss tracks throughout hip-hop history. And I would love to see a JPEG Mafia, Freddie Gibbs track. And they just go bar for bar, word for word. I think Freddie Gibbs would eat up JPEG Mafia in a diss track. I really do think so. Um, but still, not that bad. Not that bad. Uh, overall, um, I wish these two nothing but the best of luck. Uh, there's nothing really I can divulge more than that uh besides that because i don't i really don't have a horse in this race i find them both to be quite insecure with who they are both quite corny more so with freddie more so with jpeg mafia than freddie gibbs um yeah i just i just think when it comes to jpeg mafia he is a guy that doesn't really know who he is what he wants and yeah, I just I just find it weird to see him going after white people and going on this endless uh, on on this endless mission to like alienate his fan base and to talk bad about white people even though he's working with an actual Nazi. You know, even though he's working with an actual guy who sympathizes with those beliefs. It, it, it's like how can you hate on white people when you're when you're working with the most Aryan guy possible? <laughs> you know, like how is that possible? You know, how how, how are you how can you do that, but then also in the same breath say that it's completely fine with 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 working with Kanye. It makes no sense to me. Now again, there's nothing wrong when it comes to like working with Kanye, but if you work with Kanye, you should have zero opinion on anything, in in terms of like political matters or political issues. Like at this point in time, like if you if you're a person who's working with Kanye. That's like, oh, that's like somewhat progressive and you're like, wear it, uh, wear it on your sleeve. It's like, this is not the right time to do that, right? Like if you're working with any other artist, sure, do that. But if you're working with Kanye, it's like people can easily look at you and be like, okay, but you're being a hypocrite when you're working with Kanye, you know? So that's the thing. Like, again, work with Kanye, don't work with Kanye. It's up to you. It's your life. It's your choice, your decisions, your rules. But when you're working with Kanye... Don't be this like fake progressive that hates on white people and, you know, talks about the importance of all these other programs or talks and hypes up all these issues. When you're working with a guy who is very silent on Israel Palestine, who hasn't really given a thought on Israel Palestine, still silent on things that are happening within his own world uh, in terms of political issues that are back at home, who is, who said some quite horrendous remarks you know on the jewish people and on the jewish religion um yeah i just think when you're working with a guy like that it's it's weird to act as if you're like this morally virtuous person and that's exactly what jpeg mafia is doing i'm sorry you know i prefer death grips over jpeg mafia by the way like i want to be very clear i prefer i prefer death grips over jpeg mafia not only because do I find their music a little bit better than JPEG Mafia? So, but, but because of the fact that like they know who they are, 
they're comfortable with knowing that they are a band that you know is only really successful because of rabid online people and rabid online folks they're fine with that they're content with that you know and and they don't really try to go deeper than what they actually are and i think that that actually helps out helps out death grips a lot more in the long run than jpeg mafia sometimes you just gotta learn how to shut up you know sometimes you gotta learn to just stay mum on certain things on certain topics and i feel like jpeg mafia is learning that slowly but surely uh so without no further ado that's it for that topic let's get into our last topic for today and that is if you guys don't know shinko was hosted at snl on saturday alongside a musical guest 21 savage and it was a solid episode i really did enjoy my time while watching this episode um there were a good four or five sketches in it um which for snl standards really good that is above average that is really really good and again i don't want to be the guy that, that hates on snl because there, there's so many people that online that hate on SNL. And for me personally, I, I do want to give SNL a bit of a bit of a credit here because I don't think people realize how difficult it is for in the span of four to five days to have an hour and a half show where you have sketches that make it to air and can be funny. You know, that in and of itself is a very difficult thing to have only four to five days of preparation to write sketches that will be viewed online for years to come. And people will judge you based on those sketches with that less with that lack of a time invested in those sketches. Again, there's a difference between Gillian Keeves. Obviously Gillian, Gillian Keeves is obviously very funny and on and quite refreshing in terms of sketches. I think Gillian Keeves are, it's, it's some of the best sketches you'll ever see. But at the same time, they had a lot of time to prepare for the sketches. You know, with SNL, they only have four to five days on at most, you know. So a part of me does feel bad for that. You know, a part of me does feel, I feel like I should give a bit of a more of a credit for that, you know. So when it comes to SNL, like, usually, like, if there's, like, one or two sketches in in SNL on an SNL show that's good I'm like okay this is a pretty successful show for what it is one to two sketches that's great but for this I mean there were a there were good there were a good four to five sketches that I did enjoy um you know the, let's let's start with the positives here right uh the butt plug sketch I thought was pretty funny I'm not gonna lie I thought it was pretty funny apparently they didn't uh, air it on NBC Wisconsin because it was like anti-packers and they were afraid that it would offend them which is I thought was hilarious the fact that they would censor a sketch just because they thought it would offend people that were fans of that sports team is I think that we're taking censorship to like whole new levels of idiocracy when dumb things like that happen. Um, so yeah, the butt plug sketch was great. I really did enjoy it. Uh, gambling sketch is also pretty funny. That was like a sketch that wasn't really like live per se, but the actual sketch in and of itself was pretty funny. Just to bet on a person who's betting and losing their money is hilarious to me. HR meeting sketch, I thought was probably the standout sketch in my opinion. I thought it was hilarious. At one point, uh, there was like a gay per- a person who was playing a gay character uh, in the sketch. And Shane at one point was like, okay, since he can ask somebody out due to his condition, that for some reason like got like an audible laugh from me. Which I, just the way that he delivered that line and the way that 
he was able to say it on NBC because you got to realize like NBC is owned by NBC Universal. It's owned Universal. It's owned by Comcast. The fact that he said it on com on the Comcast channel is hilarious. Um, you know, and the Trump sketch. You know, the 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 fact that he got Trump sneakers and you know was able to like change it up a bit. You know, very much like Mike. If you haven't watched the movie like Mike, it's this like kid who gets new sneakers and he's obviously like a pro basketball player similar story to this except that it's mostly trump instead of trump making it into the nba it's just trump you know trying to talk people into thinking that he's a good person and does good things which i love that sketch and the limu emu sketch which was cut for time but that sketch was great even though it was like an ad for liberty mutual i thought it was hilarious and you can definitely tell that there was like a a, a big mckeever gillis influence on that sketch but they're like okay if this is going to be an ad we got to at least make it funny uh so that i thought was honestly the hr meeting sketch and the limu emu sketch both were hilarious to me and i mean how can we not mention the monologue the monologue was just out of this world crazy uh it was amazing i loved the monologue a lot people were expecting like a norm mcdonald-esque monologue from shane but you got to realize that not many people Besides those that are fans of Shane and Man Shane Secret Podcast and Gillian Keeves, to the average person who watches SNL, whether it's like a you know high school white chick who likes Clonopin for her age, or, or or likes an SSRI or talks about therapy, or whether whether it's some theater kid dork in high school that watches it, or some 50, 60 year old lady who, you know, just watches it while she passes out in her, you know, sedentary bed, you know, you got to realize that those two groups of people that usually comprise of SNL's audience and fan base, uh, they don't really know who Shane is compared to Norm, you know, with Norm, like he was on Weekend Update, he was, he was on their TV screen with Shane, like he didn't really have a chance to prove that because he was fired before he got on to cast. So for him, like he had to sort of reintroduce himself uh, to the entire world because of that. And again, the jokes in his monologue were great. I loved it. I mean, the fact that he almost he sort of like hinted at you know calling his dad a pedophile on live television with his dad right in front of him by saying that he's the assistant coach for the high school women's basketball team is hilarious to me i thought that was great you know he did talk a lot about family in his in his monologue which i thought was a nice touch um you know at one point he said retard on, on uh, live which that was great i'm not gonna lie i loved it i'm like oh, let's fucking go shane uh, i know it's kind of like elementary to like pop for somebody saying retard on stage but you gotta realize as i've said before nbc is on universal which is owned by Comcast. He said retard on the Comcast channel. I don't know if you guys know about that, but that is absolutely crazy. And the fact that he could say that on live television is great. Um, yeah, I mean, there was there were points in, in, in the monologue where Shane felt as if he was like not doing well. I don't know where that thought process was coming from. I thought he did really well. I mean, especially in that room with how tense that room was and the fact that he still got laughs in that room despite how overly sensitive that crowd can be at times i mean i thought he had a really good monologue and yeah i mean it, it, is it the same as performing in front of his audience no like obviously his audience will obviously understand the references more or will 
you know, buy into Yusumi a little bit more. But again, I thought he did a pretty, pretty a fairly well job, a pretty good job at that for for doing a monologue. Uh, there was one point in the monologue where there was like some redheaded chick in the background who was just like not really reacting to any of the jokes, but was just sort of contently just looking at the camera during the entire time or just looking down, not really cracking a smile. And a lot of people online were sort of mad at that. And they sort of took their outrage on that person for not really laughing. But you got to realize that, you know, SNL rehearses the hell out of these sketches and these monologues, and they really have a cut down to the T. Uh, they rehearse time and time again. I think they usually have two or three rehearsals before they actually go live on air. So she's heard those jokes before. You know, you can't laugh at the same joke a second or third time. I mean, there are times where I go to open mics with comics that I know who I've heard their jokes multiple times. It's tough to laugh at those jokes multiple times afterwards. The first time you're like, okay, this is an entirely different thing. I see that I, I never saw them misdirect. But then after a while, you're like, okay, I, I, I heard these jokes before, you know. And plus, at the same time, she's at work. You know, she's focused on, on you know, you know, performing the next musical note and just getting the show rolling. You know, again, there's a lot of nerves that go into it. You know, a lot of people are just focused on their own thing. They don't really have time to really listen. I mean, there are times where I'll be at a comedy show and I just don't listen to the comedian. It's not purposefully. It's just because I'm pre, I'm just preoccupied or my, my focus is just onto other things. Um, so, yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, when it comes to Shane on SNL, um, I thought it was good. Uh, but that cold open, my God. That I mean, we'll, we'll get into the negatives because there were a few negatives here. Um, but yeah, uh, there were the, there were, there were a few negatives. That cold open was absolutely idiotic, and that 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 cold open, like again, I'm not, I don't want to be like hateful to SNL here because again. I do have a lot of respect for like the people that do work there. Not, I mean, not all of them, but uh, I do have respect for people that you know do put in a lot of time and energy into like you know creating these sketches that will make it to air. That you know have to be have to worry about sponsors and whether or not sponsors will still sponsor the show despite their sketches. You know, I understand that there's a lot of weight to it. Again, it's airing on Comcast, but that floor, that 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 cold open was absolutely horrendous and it's a textbook example of everything that is wrong with how we perceive snl to be just just a sketch in which it had no point to it where the cast members felt like they didn't have any interest in doing the sketch i mean i saw the behind the scenes of of this where they were showing how like they were getting ready to like get Shangos out there and do his stand-up. Those people that were in that sketch were just dying to get out of their seats and just move on to the next thing. That sketch was bombing even live. Even their that, that own their own audience that is usually like pro-liberal and like anti-conservative and, and whatnot, they still looked at that and were like, what the hell is this? Like I at one point I'm like okay like maybe we should we should just go like the random improv troupe from like UCB or like or whatnot to just come in because we gotta replace these guys 
these guys are just scab like we'll, we'll just get the scab scab <laughs> scab theater dorks to come in for snl for this one time because oh my god that that cold open was absolutely horrendous to watch like absolutely horrendous um but yeah that that cold open was bad i'm like I'm, i was watching it live i'm like should i just stop watching if this is the case like if this is what is considered to be like funny like let's just let's just stop it uh the floor sketch i thought was also um not that great either uh people didn't like the 21 savage performances um which i don't know i mean i like 21 savage i thought the first performance was pretty good the second one was not that great but um again i, I didn't really see the need to i mean it, it would have been better if it was like jack white i'm not gonna lie i mean i thought i think jack white would have been a great replacement of a of a performance guest than say um 21 Savage. I, th- I would actually like even put Zach Bryan in there as well. And by the way, this is not just a racial thing. Like, yeah, there are other people that I thought would have be- been better fit for the SNL slot than 21 Savage, right? You know, maybe, um, I don't know, Travis Scott. I don't know. I have maybe, 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 maybe I'm just picking another rapper, but, um, I mean, there are other there are other people that I think would have done better, but yeah, I, I definitely think that Zach Ryan would have been a better fit for that show. I, I definitely do believe that a Jack White could have been a better fit for that show. Um, they they could have done a bit a little bit better when it came to the musical guest, uh, John Mayer. I think John Mayer would have been perfect. I mean, he's friends with Chappelle. He's he likes stand up comedy. He's done stand up comedy. I think John Mayer would have been a great guest uh for the program a great musical guest for the program again he's not really promoting anything but still you know um but yeah overall the floor sketch i wasn't that big of a fan of it just felt like there was no point to it i felt like they were just they just cut like the end of it because they were they had to go straight to commercial and by the way watching this like watching snl live like i knew they had commercials in the program i didn't expect it to be this many I, I didn't expect it to be mostly commercials. I was like, dude, like, there's so many commercials here. Like, era, era sketch, era Limu Emu. Like, it's cut for time. Why is Limu Emu cut for time when you have 30 commercials about how to, you know, combat HIV? It's like, what's happening here? Like, why, why are there this many commercials about, like, how to combat? Like, are people that watch SNL late at night getting it in? Like, are, are they getting pussy? Like, why, why, why are there so many sketches about how to, why are there so many commercials about how to, like, like uh, defend or, or uh, how, to, how to defeat HIV? Like, I don't get it, you know? Um, but yeah, the floor sketch, cold open, you know, people didn't really like Fugliana. Fugliana, I thought, was an okay sketch. I really did like the break at the end with shit Sarah Sherman. I thought that break at the end was pretty funny. Um... But yeah, overall, it's a, it was a solid episode. I mean, there were four or five good sketches in it. Usually, SNL doesn't have that many sketches that are of that quality. So at the end of the day, I thought it was funny. I thought Shane Gillis did what he did. The monologue was obviously the best part of the entire thing. And, you know, hopefully we're able to see more funny stuff from Shane Gillis later on with either Gillian Keeves or just his stand-up in general. Um, I, I think at the end of the day, you know, this was just a way for Shane to buy his, not buy his way, but to get back into the zeitgeist of things that are within the entertainment world. You know, I think that this was the reintroduction of Shane Gillis into that world. Uh, obviously, 
does that raise some eyebrows? Sure. Uh, but in terms of getting him to be in movies, like, yeah, I, I would love to see that. I would love to see, I like to see funny people get compensated for their work and to get opportunities out of their work. I like to see that. That, that to me is, there's nothing better than seeing a person that you know is funny get fame and get attention for that. There's nothing better than that. There's nothing better than seeing that happen, especially when you see a comedian who has worked tirelessly day in and day out to like deliver funny like jokes or, or sketches to to be able to get some form of, 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 of fame out of it. There's nothing better than that. Um, you know, so overall, this was a solid episode. Uh, I mean, there's not really much to dissect it other than that. You know, I know people will be like, oh, it was his monologue was in Norm MacDonald. He didn't Bud Dwyer himself on SNL. It's like, obviously, oh, these are jokes, guys. Like, you think he would actually commit suicide and the biggest thing in his entire career with his parents watching, you think Shane would do that? Are you that dumb? Um, I mean, yeah, I thought it was fun. I thought it was good. And you can definitely tell it meant a lot to him, you know. And, you know, when I saw Shane and Bowen Yang hug at the end, I thought that that was, that put a, that, that was, that put the kibosh on all of that unnecessary drama that was just taking up space online. So I liked the hug at the end. Honestly, they should, it was a missed opportunity. I'm not going to lie. Uh, I really did enjoy the episode. I really did enjoy the episode, but I thought it was a missed opportunity to not have Shane and Bowen Yang go into a Chinese restaurant, eat noodles, and and fall in love with one another. That I think would have been a great sketch, just to have like a rom com parody of these two guys that just go into Chinatown and just sit at the same table and just eat noodles. I think that would have been a great sketch. Um, obviously. Shane and McKeever could add, easily add more to it than just that. Uh, but that I felt like that was a missed opportunity there. Um, but yeah, overall, hey, I, I don't hate it. I don't hate it one, one bit. I, I mean, yeah, there were some negatives to it. I mean, the Truman Capote thing was... I was like, what year are we in? Like, like what, what is this? Like, why are we making references to all these like 60s and 70s things that were half the cast wasn't even born in that era or in that time period? Like, why are we why are we doing that? Um, but yeah, it was a solid episode. I mean, solid episode. Uh, again, SNL is run by Comcast, right? So for people that are saying, oh, Shane wasn't edgy enough, you're like, you have to realize that at the same time, like, it's run by Comcast. They run commercials for for Pampers. Understand that, you know, there are limitations to it. Um, would it be great if there was, like, a, a competitor to SNL? Like, if we had, like, another mad TV out there, that would be great. Like, I'm not going to lie. I think the more the merrier... The more sketch comedy shows there are, the better competition there will be. And the better competition there will be, the better sketches that will be put out you know i think that's that's that would be ideal for that part um but again for what it was i didn't hate on it and yeah I, i'm i'm this is great i mean i was i've been a big fan of shane gillis since 2018 early 2019 like i remember listening to the man shane secret podcast and seeing you know shane gillis appear on you know podcasts like real ass podcast and legion of skanks and just thinking to myself man this guy is this guy's the real deal. Like I saw his Clusterfest set as well. Um, you know, I, I mean, I go that back. I go that way back with Shane. So, um, not that that matters. But I, 
when I see Shane be able to host SNL, I'm like, oh, God, the guy did it. The guy got his Hollywood ending, and I'm happy for him, you know? And it was was a nice thing. I'm not going to lie. Very nice thing. Um, So overall, those are my thoughts on it. Um, And, guys, I think that's it for the podcast for today. Uh, I was going to recommend an album, but... I was going to recommend Radioheads and Rainbows, but it feels like that's an album that everyone's ever that's everyone's heard of, and I just started listening it, to it this past week. So I'm like, okay, maybe maybe I won't recommend it then. But anyways, Radioheads and Rainbows—that's my weekly pick, uh, guys. Thank you so much for watching. Thank you so much for listening. Make sure you guys like, subscribe, and click the bell icon for notifications down below. Make sure you follow me on my Instagram and yeah, tw- Twitter, TikTok. Even though I don't really use TikTok or Twitter. Um, at AJ Tucker, A-J-A-Y-T-H-A-K-K-A-R underscore at the end. Make sure you rate and review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Make sure you spread the word. That's that's important. Spread the word. Um, get more people talking, invest in this podcast, whether it's through um, you know WhatsApp or through your group, cha- group chats or your text chains, whatever it may be, however, however people may be listening to it. Uh, make sure you spread the word get more pe- people involved invest in and other than that guys that's about it so guys thanks so much for, thank you so much for watching thanks so much for listening i do not know what i'll talk about for thursday who knows maybe i'll take thursday off and i'll do a podcast with a friend of mine we'll talk about dune 2 who knows that's up for discussion that's up for, that's up in the air who knows we're sort of in the i won't say downswing but in a more mellow time in tennis where there's not that many clay tournaments that are happening during the clay season we're still not in the clay season yet and you know but at the same time there aren't there are no it's not as if there's no tennis tournaments happening either so we are in a more mellow time in tennis right now so who knows what will happen on thursday you'll just have to stay and see uh or wait and see and uh yeah other than that guys i'll see you guys on thursday guys thanks for watching thanks for watching i'll see you guys on thursday peace see y'all